Welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about postnatal health and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a journalist and I'm on a mission to find out why we so often fail to give mothers the care and support they need after birth. It's fabulous to have you back for this second series or welcome to those of you listening for the first time. Just in case you're new to Mother Bodies, let me tell you what the podcast is all about. Every week, I speak to an expert or well-known mum. Together, we debunk myths and break down taboos around postnatal health and discuss why the system is failing so many women and what we can do to change parents' lives for the better. This is Mother Bodies. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking to Illy Morrison. Illy is a midwife, a birth debrief facilitator and a mum of two. She's also the author of a new book, The Birth Debrief, which is out now. You may know her from Instagram, where she posts as Mixing Up Motherhood. I started my chat with Illy by asking whether she'd always been interested in birth trauma or whether her own experiences inspired her work. I knew very early on into my studies that I didn't actually want to be a clinical midwife and had actually seen myself going into some type of safeguarding role or working with survivors of sexual assault or childhood traumas and things like that. So I kind of always had this idea and actually going as far back as to before even training to be a midwife. When I looked at what I wanted to do, it was I wanted to work in law, but with women specifically, um, migrant women and women who have been subjected to domestic violence or be a probation officer or, you know, lots of these kind of roles that in my head were very much about helping people. And without sounding like self-serving, I wanted to work in a job that served a community, essentially. So fast forward, having my daughter, which was an unsuccessful home birth, um, which turned into an emergency cesarean section and just feeling completely thrown by it Um, but also looking at areas that really impacted me and it wasn't really the surgery it was how I was treated how I was spoken to how I wasn't etc and you know all of those things coupled with then that transition into postpartum and being a new mother left me just feeling completely and utterly broken so that then brought about kind of I essentially my business only started because my husband had been locked down. He got locked down in the first first lockdown in Spain. And I was staying with my parents, but that left me looking after an 18-month-old by myself, essentially. And I was like, I'm going to start an Instagram page. And <laughs> after about three months, my Instagram page just blew up. And then after about five months, what I realized was that so many people were sharing their traumatic birth experiences with me. And I felt absolutely fine about it. I'd open up the floor for it. But I thought, well, why isn't this a service that I could offer? So in the October 2020, I put it out there as a, let me just see what happens. And the first sort of couple of weeks, I had maybe two sessions a week. By about three weeks in, I had a waiting list that was six weeks long. Wow. So it kind of just stemmed from my own experience but also I think I hit the gap at a time it was very much needing or it was very much open. I mean it makes a lot of sense and we've talked quite a lot on this podcast about the impact of lockdown particularly exacerbating the feelings women had of trauma and feeling sort of alone and abandoned in the birth and postnatal experience but 
I think that probably also isn't just lockdown specific, is it? What sort of things do you find are the kind of like most common themes that women talk to you about when they want to come and discuss or talk through their difficult births? Yeah, so basically, initially, probably the first, I suppose maybe like month or so, it was very much about, it was birth specific. And actually now as a service, it's about the whole perinatal period. So this is from preconception so issues with fertility assisted conception through to kind of miscarriage early pregnancy difficulties or extended pregnancy difficulties so pregnancy loss infant loss and sort of everything and then the postnatal period which goes for years so I've had people come and see me from sort of 10 days postnatal to 10 years postnatal so it's a real kind of extensive period so that sort of perinatal period and I suppose what they come and see me about predominantly is often issues with how they were feeling isolated, neglected, abused in their experiences, but also lots of feelings of guilt, shame, inadequacy, breastfeeding difficulties and breastfeeding guilt or infant feeding guilt, but also uh, the clinical side of things where Perhaps they thought they were going to have a vaginal birth and everything was going fine. And suddenly they've ended up with a cesarean section and a postpartum hemorrhage and not really understanding how that's happened. So we can go through that too. So there's lots of different things. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously it's kind of a minefield, isn't there? And there's so many different things. But I think something that does seem to come up a lot is actually it's not necessarily what happened to you in terms of the physical processes, but how it happened to you and you can have quite a difficult birth that ends up with all sorts of interventions but if you feel like you were listened to and supported and you made choices for yourself instead of having them thrust upon you then that can kind of be okay whereas you can actually have quite a straightforward birth and then just feel like nobody helped you mm-hmm. afterwards mm-hmm. and you were abandoned on the postnatal ward and nobody helped you breastfeed and you can feel really traumatized by that. Yeah, I, th- I think as a society, we have this idea of what a good birth looks like and what a positive birth looks like and not really understanding the humongous transition that pregnancy and motherhood is. And so that in itself, regardless of how your baby is born, is massive and takes a lot of processing. And then if we add those extra layers onto it of difficulty, um, not feeling seen and not feeling heard or understood, then it's completely exacerbated. But, you know, like you said, you can have a very normal birth and feel absolutely horrendous. But what happens to you then? Because everyone already has their own predisposed idea of what a normal birth looks like. And that means you should feel a certain way. So if you Mm -hmm. aren't feeling that way, having had that sort of stereotypical birth, well, where do you go with those feelings as a society, particularly here in the West? But generally, when it comes to motherhood, it is really, really um, overshadowed by this concept of gratitude. You know, healthy babies, at least you can have children, at least you've got a hospital. You know, (laughs) my friend Jane had a terrible experience and you at least had your baby vaginally. You know, we've got a lot of comparison and a lot of gaslighting into gratitude. So I think there's a lot of silencing that happens. And so despite the fact that we believe that approximately 33% of women are experiencing birth trauma, I know that is grossly underreported. 
Um, right. And that's still huge, isn't it? I mean, that's a third, one in three people coming out traumatized exactly. and something that is supposed to be essentially a natural and normal process. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and that's that's not even to say what happens to dads. You know, supposedly it's about one in 10 men. Machismo will be like, you don't talk about trauma. No, you're not traumatized. You've got to be a breadwinner and beating your chest and like loving every moment or whatever and so we are really stuck when it comes to trauma because of our own conditioning around around what that is what it looks like and then the support available or lack thereof and on that note with support I mean what you offer women which is brilliant is a chance to talk through their experiences and understand their feelings and get validation that it's okay to yeah. feel yeah. angry or upset or sad or frustrated and that you don't have to feel guilty because your birth wasn't as bad as someone else's birth mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing, which is fantastic. But obviously that's a private service that you offer. Mm-hmm. In terms of what is offered yeah. to women at the moment, I mean, is there anything like what you do or yeah. how can people get help if they if they want to talk through their experience, but they can't necessarily access someone like you okay so basically what's offered across most hospital trusts is a birth reflection service now this throughout the pandemic was significantly reduced due to the fact that staff were being pulled onto hospital wards and things like that or it was done over the phone and it just wasn't really hitting the mark and so waiting lists for these appointments can be very long different hospitals have different kind of thresholds but also different time periods in which you can access those so some say up to a year others say whenever and others can say six months so that also varies and obviously it's them saying we feel like you need this or "Mm, we don't really feel like you need this and that then goes back to that previous thing that I was saying is like what's our understanding of trauma and what happens when someone who thinks they're traumatized attempts to access a service and is then told, now nah, you're not traumatized enough. Um, yeah. And it reinforces all those awful feelings. Exactly. And so there's, so there's this birth reflection service and that is usually conducted by a senior midwife, a consultant midwife or an obstetrician, often not the one who was present at your birth, but works for the trust. Now, I've had lots of people come and see me after these appointments because they're like, I don't know what happened there. Because there's a lack of being trauma informed, firstly. But secondly, what we've kind of got is people feeling, you know, we run the risk of defensive practice. It's not impartial because equally you could be talking about their friends. You know, you're talking about their trust. They've got to protect themselves from litigation. But also lots of things have been normalized in hospital trusts that despite not feeling normal are then, well, yeah, that's standard protocol. So many times unintentionally women come away from those services feeling worse. And so people think, right, I'm going to go to the hospital and get my debrief and then come away and they're like, oh, well, that didn't really do anything because generally, and there are always exceptions, But generally, hospital birth debriefs focus on the clinical aspects of your birth, but also they use your clinical notes. So if they're reading your clinical notes, they're just saying, well, it says here this happened. It says here this happened, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if I'm the midwife in that situation, I'm writing. Firstly, I'm not going to write about how perhaps I ignored you or perhaps I spoke rudely to you because obviously then you could sue me and I'm not going to do that. But also what I'm not going to write, perhaps, is how you're feeling, because I don't know. I'm basing it all on my own perception, my own understanding and my own idea of normality. So 
all of that comes together means that some people come away from their hospital debriefs feeling great because they had clinical questions, they got answered, they know what to do, they know what could happen next time. And others come away just feeling a bit like, I just feel none the wiser. So they vary significantly across the board. But if you do have access to one and you are feeling like you need one, then reach out to your hospital and see what services they offer. But bear in mind that there might be a waiting list and that a lot of the time, if you were traumatized in that hospital, you will be required to go back for that meeting. So if it is feeling too much, if you feel too triggered to to go into that space, just bear that in mind. But also you can say, can I do it over the phone if that works better for you? So there are ways around these things. But I think the important thing that I can say about this is kind of managing expectations as to what that might be and being really clear about what you want to know so that you can kind of make the most out of that offering. Yeah, going equipped with a good list of questions and thinking about what you actually want to find out in advance is is helpful. I mean, what you're saying completely echoes, I think, experiences of people that I know um, in that I think some friends have found it helpful in that they just didn't understand why certain things happened and being talked through that certain things that might not have been properly explained at the time, like, oh, actually, you know, your heart rate went a bit weird at mm-hmm. this point. So we decided to do this. Like, if especially when you're giving birth, obviously, you know, things, you're not really in the real world, are you? You're not really taking all this information yeah. in. So sometimes that's actually really helpful mm-hmm. and helps people think like, oh, okay, that's why I did that. And can be reassuring. But I had another friend said she just felt like they were justifying why they did all those mm-hmm. things. Like, you know, like you say, almost as if they were defending their position. Yeah. And there was no thought to like how it made her feel. Exactly. I offer paid service, but basically what was happening was I, I realized that a lot, a lot of people, that's not accessible for them. And initially I was just giving away five sessions a month, but then that kind of didn't really make sense. It was a bit like well, how sustainable is this? And I don't want to burn out as a practitioner by feeling like I'm just giving away a lot of my time or whatever. And so I basically put it out to my Instagram following to see if anyone would be willing to pay forward a session. And so I offer a paid forward service where people, very kind strangers have paid for sessions. Um, I've had people donate 10 sessions, five or monthly, just doing sort of the odd one. They book one for themselves and one for someone else. They never know who it's going to, but I never ask for any explanation. I don't want it to be paid back. I don't care about your finances. All I say is based on honesty, if you need it, it will serve you. But if you are taking it from someone else where you don't really need it or where you do have the means, it won't serve you in the way that you think. So you'll shoot yourself in the foot, really. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that has been a very, very successful offering and lots of people, I'd say about 50 people have been seen through that. So if you are listening and you're thinking, oh gosh, I can't afford it, but I feel I need it, then don't hesitate to just reach out to me and I will add you to a waiting list. That's amazing. And that's such a nice idea, actually, because we have talked actually quite a lot in the last series whenever we've discussed things that people can access to get help it always seems like they're private and they're not necessarily hugely expensive but you know it's still money that a lot of people don't have access to and and I think that's fantastic that actually if you're in a position where you feel lucky then perhaps you can pay it forward and help someone else who really needs that help but just doesn't have access to it yeah we know that money is just one of the biggest barriers to people getting help and particularly as mothers 
who are raising future generations, we kind of need to make sure that we're okay in order to secure a better future. So it's like, well, if we can put our money into that, then it's amazing. And I think everyone feels good. Everyone wins, basically. Absolutely. And on that note, I mean, the point that you make about investing in mums, because we are literally raising the future, which, yeah, brilliant. Can't (laughs) underestimate the power of mums. But do you think that the health service needs to be investing a lot more in this as well? Or do you think that they need to be changing things right from the start and trying harder not to traumatise women in the first place? Hmm. So my views on are very, very brilliant yet severely lacking healthcare service um, is that actually it's kind of broken from the center um so this means that like we can say oh you know actually we're going to put some money into this and into that and it's like yes but in the end because the whole thing needs a complete overhaul we're kind of going to keep going round in circles here yeah um so I think Yes, we could do more to not traumatise people, but equally we can look at the whole, because the issue is systemic. So it's like, well, yeah, we can fix that a little bit, but the rest that comes out of it. So let's say, for example, we decide that actually every family who has difficulty with fertility, whether it's primary or secondary or tertiary, has access to IVF or conception support, right? We can say, right, everyone gets it. Incredible. That would be great. However then you're going to go to a maternity service that is grossly lacking staff, lacking support, lacking understanding. So it's like, okay, so we're not going to, we're not fixing the whole thing. We're just going to fix parts of it. Which then kind of is, you know, just slightly just touched on, but the postcode lottery, lottery aspect of all of it, which is that some areas in the country will be, will have great access to lots of different services all throughout the perinatal period. And then others, most of these places that really, really do need it do not have it. So I, I feel that we are not caring for women. And this is women's health across the board. We're not caring for women efficiently or effectively. And a lot of the harm, and I speak about this a lot, which is just the kind of human nature aspect of it. We have things that, yes, we can't change. For example, you needed that cesarean section. That saved yours and your baby's life. Fine. But... Did we need the person that was really horrible to you throughout it? Did we need the person that was lacking in in empathy and compassion? No, we didn't. So this is human stuff. Like this is stuff that can be changed. So in answer to your question, a lot of trauma is man-made. Yeah. Um, And so, no, we aren't doing enough. (laughs) And I think, you know, like you say about the NHS being so kind of broken at the moment I mean it is difficult because I mean my own experience is unusual in that my actual birth was pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. but my postnatal experience was awful and I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD Mm -hmm. like but again had to recognize that there was something wrong in myself and seek out treatment Mm -hmm. and finally got some help about just over a year after my son was born but in my case all of that trauma was essentially caused by short staffing Mm -hmm. because the people that were dismissive of me or ignored my symptoms or didn't care, didn't help me. Like it wasn't because they were terrible people. Mm -hmm. It was not any one individual's fault. It was just because there was not enough staff 
on a very busy postnatal ward and there were lots of women on that ward who had high needs mm-hmm. you know there was one midwife rushing around trying to find a translator for someone another one was trying to find a key worker for a girl that had some learning difficulties and you know like I think society has become quite complex hasn't it mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and it's not just that we're having more babies it's that we're more complicated when we have babies we perhaps all have more needs and yeah everything feels so stretched right now but I wonder what you think the solution is because I think we can all acknowledge that if at a minimum one in three women are traumatized from their experience of having a baby then that's not okay and something needs to change but what sort of things do you think we could do or the health service could do to improve that I mean we need money you know, it needs money, you know, so like I said before about giving away sessions and risking burnout and resentment, we all want to get paid for our jobs. We all have families that we support. And actually we know that money or financial gain incentivizes better work, better morale and a better ethic overall. We strip that away and we're essentially trying to force people to work on goodwill alone. Yeah. But goodwill does not actually last. Like it isn't infinite. And so we need to make sure that our midwives, doctors, healthcare, support, admin teams are all being paid better, that they are being incentivized on a financial level, as well as having you know, areas that they can go to for support, not just occupational health when they're reaching burnout and then needing to take six months off for stress, but that regularly they have check-ins that are actually real, that are actually happening, that actually work to fixing issues. Um, Because I don't feel that I need it, but if I did need it, I would have my own therapist or my own sort of someone I would go and debrief to in order to help me to show up and do my work better. So that's that those things are really important, but also we need to, in many ways, encourage those who are causing harm to leave, (laughs) you know, like it's so funny because it's like, because of that whole gratitude thing, it's like, we should just accept crumbs and crumbs can come in the form of, people that aren't very kind but have been kept in the trust because well they don't want to quit or because we need staff but it's like okay but we're just going to go around in circles here because they're there but they're causing harm to your patients like is that what we're supposed to do so you know really getting rid of those rotten apples in whatever way that we can (laughs) and I know it's really hard and it's romanticized but you've asked me what I think is needed and I think that's what's needed and then I think every person that comes into contact with women and their families needs some sort of trauma training so in in terms of just being trauma informed which isn't anything that complex but it's how you speak how you engage with people, the language that you use, which is verbal and non-verbal, but also a deeper understanding of the human mind, but also particularly at the vulnerable time, which is that perinatal period. So yeah, all those things and continuity of care. If we had continuity of care, I think, and like real continuity of care, we could really see a huge difference as we have seen when it is used in in vulnerable groups. So just those few small things Just a few. <laughs> so your instagram is hugely popular and i love your posts and one of the reasons i love them is because you're so honest <laughs> about about 
motherhood and that like it's not fun and games Mm -hmm. but also one of the things that really struck a chord with me that I know you've posted about a few times is this idea of Mm well-being and that it's sold to us as like are you doing your Mm well-being have you had a manicure recently have you gone on a spa day have you taken a break and you described it as essentially just another thing mums are being made to feel guilty about Mm -hmm. like if you don't have the time or money to do well-being right could you just tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that and what Mm -hmm. we should be doing instead what well-being really means yeah so basically if we look we live in a society that is fueled by capitalism that's literally what it is right and so how do we get people to spend money well we tell them that there's a problem and then we create a solution which often requires spending money um so self-care is one of those things self-care which is like oh my gosh yeah you need your self-care and for a while particularly in the pandemic which I found wild everyone was talking about have you have you had some self-care have you had some self-care and it's like fun we are locked down with our kids 24 7 what are you talking about (laughs) you know but it was just like oh yeah it's it goes oh I didn't get my self-care but it's my fault that I didn't do that and that's why I'm feeling this way rather than looking at the systemic issues that are causing most mothers to feel you know to have this kind of increased rate maternal rage increased PTSD increased um, postpartum depression and anxiety and so it's that's not because we're not getting regular manicures like like stop trying to find when you put it like that it makes sense yeah (laughs) like we're trying to find plasters to put over huge cracks like they're huge holes and we're literally taking a pepper pig plaster and we're going here we go and really if you think about it the aim should always be to give us less to do because most of us have far too much on our mental load and physical load that we're trying to do and that is increasing our experiences of burnout so by saying when was the last time you went away when you have a breastfeeding co-sleeping baby yeah I don't know when that was yeah yeah Yeah. I also don't know when that's going to be so perhaps not when was the last time you took some time away from your children when basically you are struggling to even put food on the table well (laughs) actually Imagine if I then just go away from my children, who who benefits from this? But also what we're missing is the fact that a lot of us don't want to be away from our children. We just want to have joy when we are with our children. We want to perhaps think of less things when we are with our children, knowing that there is adequate support for us so that when we are with our children, we can just be. So that's my sort of it's a huge bugbear of mine and I've seen big sort of motherhood pages and stuff speaking about here's your self-care checklist I'm like this is rude like stop giving (laughs) us more to do um yeah a checklist particularly is just like oh I'll add that to my other list exactly I'll add it to all those other lists (laughs) um it's one of those things that I can't buy into but also when people come and debrief with me they say you know I know that I'm not doing any self-care I'm like no 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 like that's not what we need to be doing and in actual fact the only antidote to self-care and the feelings around self-care is communal care because Mm -hmm. if we can have people and and when I say communal care, people just think that it means that everyone crossing your boundaries in your house and knowing your business. And it's like, no, no, what I mean is that we have a system and a structure in place that supports us from either close or afar. 
and that we know that we could lean on should we need to access self-care and if self-care for us does mean going for a manicure we know that our children would be safe and looked after and we know that everything's not just going to go pete tong you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I suppose in that sense you know it could be something as simple as like going to a group where you can sit with other parents and watch your child but not necessarily have to just be intensely one-on-one with them mm-hmm. just have a little bit of time to chat with grown-ups and yeah so I don't just not have to watch Peppa Pig and sometimes as well like it's like oh you don't need to go anywhere to access it like your self-care could literally be that you can be at home and a meal will turn up at your door like someone will bring you some food it can mean that you don't have to cook that night you know it can mean that you don't need to worry about who's going to do the school run because you have things in place that will support you on a day that perhaps you just can't or it can be bigger it can mean that you can I don't know go for a spa weekend if that's what it is for you because there is nothing that is too ridiculous about it as long as it is what you choose it to be not that it's dictated to you what it does look like and what it doesn't and then if you're not falling within that then the problem is yours and it, even just the way that you put it as self-care and communicate I'd never really thought before but even just the word self-care is like are you doing it yourself mm-hmm. like have you looked after yourself today because mm-hmm. if you haven't you failed mm-hmm. exactly exactly it's like no I haven't looked after myself I haven't brushed my teeth I haven't showered I've got oh, I've got my kids that I need to sort out like you know how many of us sacrifice even just having breakfast in the day because we're too too busy running around we made that toast and five hours later we haven't stopped to have it you know and then it's like (laughs) but that's your fault that's your fault because you didn't factor that in and you haven't gone for a manicure exactly and look at your nails (laughs) (laughs) literally thinking about my nails right now (laughs) i haven't been for a manicure since definitely before my son was born (laughs) yeah i know failed (laughs) failed no I think that's actually on all, in all seriousness a really really valid point because I think guilt is just like the sort of number one keyword of 21st century motherhood mm-hmm. I think and and somehow society's managed to turn it around so that we even feel guilty about feeling guilty and about not having any time not to be stressed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as if that's our fault yeah. brilliant <laughs> um so you recently had your second child how have you found the transition to two so Oh, I know there's going to be lots of people that just hate the fact that I'm going to say this because we're so used to hearing the opposite. But I think it is utterly incredible. I... Do you know what? It's actually really positive because we do a lot of ranting on this series. And it's quite <laughs> nice to hear someone say something happy. <laughs> you know, it's so my daughter's four and my son is about to turn one or will have turned one by the time this airs. It has been the most transformational experience of my life. I had him at home, so I'd had a cesarean section the first time and had a home birth second time, so an H-pack. And when I tell you, and it's really reinforced my own work, your start is everything. How you go into something is just, it's so, so important because you can start on the back burner or you can start five steps ahead. And having that birth where I was like nope 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 I'm doing it my way meant that like even with challenges I'm like yeah but you're a badass so it's fine like it's cool you can do this you can do this and very sadly my mum passed away three months before I had my son so I was six months pregnant and that was just a shock of my life and 
to have been able to kind of dig deep and really kind of essentially be reborn in that experience has meant that I just I love having two children I love them both beyond anything that I could have ever imagined and of course (laughs) there are days (laughs) where I'm just like oh my gosh I'll say to my husband I'll be like take your kids and they're always his (laughs) kids when they are just getting on my nerves and it is so intense and I'm being pulled in different directions and when people ask me what it's like and without romanticizing it this is a very real thing it's your strength doubles and your heart doubles. And so you worry you're not going to be able to love them the same. And you do differently, but you do love them. Yeah, you know, I think they're both absolutely incredible. And I'm very fortunate that I have a very good support system in place. I live with my sisters and my husband. It's amazing. That's Um, amazing. So it's really cool. You know, I've got three sisters and it used to be me, my sister, her husband and my husband, again, very sadly, her husband passed away five months ago. Um, oh, gosh. And so my other two sisters came and moved in and we basically raised the three girls and my son, all sort of five adults. So it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And it's, you know, how I wish so many people could experience motherhood. So I know that for many listeners, they're going to be like, oh, of course, she says it's amazing because she's got all <laughs> of that. But what I will tell you is that even with all the support, the buck starts and ends with me. So yeah. it's like, don't underestimate that. I, like, I don't get to just tap out. I still have to mother these children. Um, You're still mum. I'm still mum, yeah. And, you know, but it is, it's absolutely incredible. And coming from trauma to be able to actually feel this, I, I remember at the beginning just feeling so shocked at the different experience it was to mm. have my son and feel all of those warm, fuzzy feelings that loads of people have spoken about. And people say to me, he's, it's because he's your favourite. I was like, he's not my favourite. He's not my favourite, but he is fully my anchor because I never thought that I could ever feel like this. So it's it's really quite powerful. And I think at that time, I was writing my book as well. So I always, I'm, I'm a mother of three. Mother, yeah. <laughs> my, my book baby. Um, and yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Just, yeah, a great thing. Well, that's an amazing, happy ending. And also, I just think really just go to reinforce so much what we've been saying sort of over and over again, really, just that it all comes down to support and feeling loved and supported and that you're, in a place where you can get help if you need it and that gives you the strength to be the mum that you want to be and also have the career that you want because your business and your book and everything has blossomed as well yeah yeah and that's always you know thanks to those people who have opened up and who have shared their stories and who trust me with to hold that for them um which is just a complete honor and as I was writing the book I was like these people are just magic because they they are evidence of the fact that you can overcome trauma and you can enjoy mothering. Um, and I think that's the kind of key messaging that I want about this, that there is joy to be had. It just needs to be facilitated on a wider scale. And so don't think that if you're not enjoying it, it all falls on you. There are lots of pieces and lots of sort of moves that are being made that are preventing that. And it's about looking at what they are finding ways in which we can avoid or kind of change them and then looking at the bits that we can't change and ridding ourselves of the sort of guilt and sort of negative feelings we have around them. 
Very wise words. I love that. <laughs> so my last question, which I ask everyone is, if there was one thing you could change about the world we live in, which would help new mums, what would it be? We would all live in community. Yeah. We would all live in community. Communities of our choosing, by the way. Um, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> really community that is where we are all united through our shared experience of mothering. So we look at that primary thing of we are all trying to mother and we would all live in networks that provided that for us so that we could have ease because that's what we're looking for. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we had that, right? We did. Society back in the day, we we had that and we lost that. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. No, I think it's, it's definitely got its things, but I think that we are, we've gone to the other end of the spectrum. And as we can see the results, I would go as far as to say have not been worth it. Well, on that note, (laughs) that bombshell. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll call it a day. The Birth Debrief by Ilian Morrison is out now and you can buy it at the link I've put in the show notes. If you'd like to hear more from Illy, you can follow her on Instagram. She's at mixing.up.motherhood. And if you're interested in attending one of her birth debrief sessions, You can find out more details on her website, mixingupmotherhood.com, where you can book a session, which is held over Zoom. There's also information on the site as how you can pay it forward by buying a session for someone else who can't afford it themselves. Illy's let me know that her current rates are £85 for a regular birth debrief session. But if you want to pay it forward, you can do so for £75. And if you'd love to attend the session, but you can't afford it, Please don't worry, contact Illy directly through her website and she'll see what she can do to make sure you get one of the sessions that has been paid forward. Thank you for listening to Mother Bodies and for spreading the word that mum's health does matter. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please, please don't suffer in silence. I've put some links in the show notes for organisations that offer support. Please do remember that nothing on this podcast should be taken as a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about your physical or mental health, please contact a healthcare professional like your GP, midwife, health visitor, women's health physiotherapist or your local counselling service. Hit subscribe or follow now to get Mother Bodies every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at Mother Bodies. <laughs>